It's 2022, which means it's a renewal year and you need CEUs. 30 if you're in South Carolina, and three of those have to be on ethics, jurisprudence, and whatever else goes in that category. Look, the year's going by fast, and you can knock out all those requirements with a MedBridge subscription, and you can get 40% off with the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD. I have a friend named Shelly, and she's a little lazy. Her words, not mine. She hasn't done any Con Ed over the past year and a half until she got her subscription set up. And what she does is she just puts modules on her phone while she watches 90 Day Fiance. Great show, by the way. Is she learning anything? No. But is she getting the local governing bodies off her bat? Yes. Your subscription also includes NSCA credits, OCS certification prep courses, patient education, home exercise programs, EMR integration. There's tons and tons of resources. Again, use the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD to get 40% off your individual subscription. That's the best price that MedBridge offers, okay? Only the best for our listeners. Now enjoy the episode. Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Better Faster Podcast. Today, Brandon and I are diving deep into running assessments and running evaluations. But first, we are excited to be joined by our one and only front desk coordinator, Chelsea, who is the glue that holds us together here because there was a, an incredible event that occurred this morning that we thought it was you know, we needed the person that, that witnessed everything to be involved and, and to come in and tell us about it. So Chelsea, with that, now that they're on the edge of their seat, waiting to hear about what happened at our KC location this morning, please tell them who you are and kind of what happened this morning. Yeah, so speaking of uh, running, um, <laughs> there I was at 8.20 this morning, you know, rolling in to get the clinic all set up for the day, and I walk into an ashtray-smelling clinic So quickly trying to figure out where the scent's coming from before old good old BV walks in and freaks out. I'm on on the chase and on the hunt for something smoky. And so Amy, one of our other therapists, suggests that I go look at at the air conditioning vents to see if maybe someone was like lounging back there and smoking. So thinking nothing of it, I walk back there being, you know, the inspector that I am. And I open our HVAC closet door to see old homeless Joe (laughs) taking a nap in our HVAC closet. So what do I do? Of course, I scream, which is super pathetic in the looking back on it, and run, bolt down the side of the building, into which Brandon is pulling into the parking lot and now trying to figure out why I look so panicked, thinking that a wild animal is chasing me. And I flail my arms and get him to stop and explain to him that homeless Joe is taking up residency in our clinic. And he calls the police, and then the police come and ask him to leave our HVAC closet. So he uh, packs up his bag of Raisin Bran that he was eating out of the entire time. And uh, yeah, so we uh, had a resident squatting. Um, if he comes back, we're gonna probably take up rent, um, <laughs> but hopefully that's not the case. And uh, yeah, thankfully our clinic smells better now. So it was, it was quite in the morning. Hilarious in hindsight. At the moment, I had no clue what was going on. I mean, it was literally as soon as I walked into the parking lot, I drove into the parking lot. I thought you were being chased by like a dog or a raccoon or something. I had no idea it was a bum. Are we allowed to say bum? I don't know what the politically if, correct term if is. If bum but. gets taken from the English language, the whole world going to hell. <laughs> but so funny, called the cops. Cops were cracking up the whole time, right? The guy, the guy comes out. He's just so nonchalant about it. He's like got a just a bag of raisin bran just stuffed in his baseboard. <laughs> she's asking like who, what his name is and how old he is, something like that too. And he's trying to talk with his mouth full, and she's like, "Sir, you've got to quit eating that cereal. I can't understand a word you're saying." <laughs> oh man, yeah, that is. 
But I think, I think Chelsea, I think you could have taken him, though. Honestly. You know what? I'm kind of upset that I did it. That was my chance to do some hand-to-hand combat, all this training I have. And I, I, I failed. I screamed and I ran. And now I hope he comes back so I can have round two. World star. <laughs> but, we, but, but what we did, we, we took action. We did not have the gentleman arrested. We got him put on trespass notice. We got the place professionally cleaned. So now the ashtray smells gone. It actually smells a lot better. Yeah, it smells really good job. Good. So no harm, no foul. Uh, reinforcing the locks, making sure it doesn't happen again. So uh, everything is everything is uh, coming back better from this. Yeah, talk about an interesting way to start the week. Uh, happy uh, Happy Thanksgiving week to everybody. But uh, no, you know, so that was, uh, of course, a unique experience. But uh, again, just taking this opportunity to changing subjects to thank Chelsea for all she does for us. Because uh, you know, those of you out there that have a clinic know that uh, your front desk staff is invaluable. But also, thank you for uh, protecting all of us as well. Yeah. But anyway, thank you, Chelsea. Uh, so. Moving a little bit into what we're actually going to talk about today, Brandon, um, we're going to talk a little bit about um, runners, and we see a fair number of them, and surprisingly, everybody wants to, you know, it's so funny that I get people that are like, um, you know, we tell them what we do, and we have a clinic, and you know, all that kind of stuff, and physical therapy, yada, 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 and the first thing it says, well, oh man, as long as there's CrossFit, y'all are always going to be busy, and, and so we've already <laughs> talked about that, about being, you know, kind of a misnomer there, but one of the areas where we see a ton of people um, is runners. You know, it's something where, uh, you know, the injury rates are, you know, the same as everywhere else, or maybe even a little bit more. It just seems like we get a lot of runners for various reasons, right? Um, so as part of any good evaluation, if you can, depending, of course, on the irritability, that kind of thing too, you know, a lot of times you, you're going to want to watch them run, you know, just like somebody having an issue with a squatting, with squatting, you probably want to watch them squat. Um, so uh, we wanted to talk a little bit today about kind of well, what's our assessment and how do we go through evaluating their, their running and their ability to run? And then, you know, maybe some concepts on things we might work, um, work on from there. So um, yeah, anything you want to, you know, add initially on that? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned injury rates. And there are some studies that have shown that you can expect up to 80% of runners to have an injury that's going to take them out for at least a week or more, right? Yep. Or maybe I'm saying that wrong. There's there a, a few studies that surveyed a ton of runners and showed that 80% of those runners have had some type of injury. So in terms of injury rates, it, it, it's pretty high. And as to why that happened, there's a lot of speculation. We can't prove it. Uh, maybe technique is one thing. And that's, of course, why we do an evaluation to see if we can clean some things. But a lot of times it's just volume. It's just the fact that for some reason running is not seen as a skill, which I know we'll dive into a little bit. The old adage used to be, just go run 100 miles and you'll figure out how to, how to clean your technique up. But turns out if you're not running optimally, you're just probably reinforcing some bad habits and that sort of thing too. So I definitely wanted to make sure we, we alluded to that because I think we'll talk about a little bit more here in a minute when we talk about different types of uh, systems in terms of analyzing and correcting running. Yeah, and I think it's important to know that kind of like, just like anything else, there probably is no perfect running form and, and, you know, exactly everyone has to run this way, right? There's a lot of different variables to consider there. And just like anything else, you know, there's no, like heel striking isn't the devil, throwing that out there too, you know, and, and so like that, you get some people that just get into these camps sometimes with running that, you know, they push one specific way on different people. And we're going to get into more of that too. But just to, to reiterate your part about, you know, you said 80% remind me of a quote from Chris Johnson we've had on here before. I think I've mentioned this quote. He said at the start of his course that when we hosted it was that 80% of runners run at 80% of effort, 80% of the time. And that's why 80% get injured. Yep. And so, uh, you know, again, that's just kind of anecdotal there, but it, it kind of speaks to the fact that this is a, an area where, you know, as PTs, we're going to get a lot of runners in our clinics and outpatient world. And so mm -hmm. we've got to be able to not just, 
you know, focus on what might be flared up, but then, you know, how are we going to keep this from happening again? And, and, you know, having the discussions on, you know, volume and training and that kind of thing, but then, you know, the outside the gym factors and then also watching them run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I think that it's good to have multiple methods to analyze running treadmill easiest way to do it probably the most efficient because it's so easy to track speed and get step rate you got the person in front of you and that sort of thing but then overground I think is important as well too because you'll have some people that just flat out refuse to run on the treadmill just say you know I just I just I hate treadmills I'm not going to do it it's gonna make me run completely different I even had one weird case recently where this person was just not safe to run on the treadmill and so I had to have kind of a plan b for that I'd say most of the time especially since we had Chris Johnson come in a year ago I, I do treadmill analyses that's actually my preferred method but I will also use the the pose method for the overground which I you know we can get to the nuances here in a little bit but I don't think either method of evaluating is perfect. I think that there's always going to be something that kind of gets left behind, some things to be desired, but um, we can kind of talk about maybe some big concepts we look for. And then of course, some things that we try to do to correct some things, because when it comes to running, I think that this is a thing where coaches, therapists kind of over coach or sort of over treat it. And, and what happens is you try to cue and try to fix a million things. You sort of give the person paralysis by analysis. And sometimes they'll end up being worse. So kind of picking the low hanging fruits, fruits and attacking those tends to be a better solution in my opinion. Yeah, no, I think uh, for me, I of course have not performed nearly as many running evaluations as you have. And I also haven't gone through the the pose curriculum officially, right? Most of it's been unofficially learning from, from you and other people who have kind of gone and, and kind of learned from the man himself. And, and so I think it, it, you mentioned that act of overcoaching and, you know, for me, that's why a lot of times, for, you know, when I look at this, I'm starting from a subjective standpoint is, is getting as much information as I can there too, because a lot of times, yeah, it might not even be really something they were doing from a technical perspective because there are so many other variables there. So when we talk about somebody coming in and they have a running related issue, uh, you've got to ask the right questions. You know, first it's like establishing, uh, you know, how, you know, how competitive are they, you know, what are they trying to do with this? Is running a sport to them? Is this just fun? Is it, you know, why, you know, why do they like to run? What's going on there? Um, how many years have they been doing it? How many days a week are they doing it? Um, you know, what's their average weekly mileage? And if they, they don't know, then that's something that we really need to be tracking. You know, are they training for a race specifically? Are they just, you know, recreational? They go out and they, you know, jog, uh, you know, a mile or two with their dog periodically. Um, you know, talking about things like, you know, well, what kind of shoes are they, are they wearing? I want to see, are, they, are those the ones you wore in clinic? Is that what you're running in? Um, you know, talking a, a little bit too, uh, you know, digging deeper into, you know, well, when's your next race if you are training for one? And then do you have a plan to get from now to there? And, you know, if so, you know, what does that plan look like? You know, a lot of times you'll hear, well, in the past, you know, I just started running a little bit more as I got closer and then went and did my race. And, and so a lot of times there might not be a plan in there. Um, so, it's, you know, I'm looking at a lot of that kind of stuff, too, before I'm even evaluating their running, just to see are there any big things that jump out to me, because you mentioned uh, you know, earlier a little bit, kind of, um, you know, workload ratios there a little bit in terms of, you know, a lot of times it's, it's an overuse issue where there's the, you know, their body wasn't ready for what they did to or what they went out and did. And so for us, it's like, okay, well, how do we address that going forward? So I usually start there a lot of times, and, and that can be a big portion of it, um, you know, before I even, before I even watch them run. 
Yeah, absolutely. And just peeling back the layers and getting into the background, I think it's really important too. So obviously we see all types. We'll see the really competitive runners who just been dealing with some kind of nagging injury for a while, been able to get through it. But then one of the things that I feel like I've seen a lot of over my career is the the body transformation person. So this is a person that maybe was just sedentary, obese, overweight, and then they started running and just had a ton of success with it. And then they sort of got addicted to that success and just started doing crazy miles and never really took the chance to recover or never really addressed it from like a holistic view in terms of looking at calorie count, looking at combining a certain amount of strength training, mobility work, and that sort of thing too. And, and those tend to be the kind of people that will, I'll see that get the overuse injuries, like the stress fractures and stress syndromes. And, and I guess there's a whole psych component that comes with that too. And to be honest with you, those can be the harder ones to treat as far as that goes too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. And so um, I think eventually we'll, we'll just to kind of maybe create like a little bit of a case here going yeah. through is like, you know, when, when someone comes in, yes, we're going to, you're, you're going to evaluate the area of which they're complaining about, right? And then we're going to evaluate, you know, above and below looking at, you know, things like range of motion and strength and different things like that. We're going to look at how their toes move, look at how their ankles move, look at how, you know, knees, hips, you know, we're, we're evaluating kind of everything and, and assuming kind of we've got, you know, our data there, eventually we get them on their treadmill. So when you get somebody on their treadmill, Brandon, um, for say a treadmill analysis or something like that, you know, what is the first thing, can you talk through that process? Like what's the first thing you do? How do you pick the speed in which they're going to run and, and how, you know, how does that start? Yeah. So just starting out really, really simple. The first thing we have, we just have them walk before they run. Right. So good thing to get in the habit of doing, we're going to have them walk generally about five minutes, just at a comfortable risk. Maybe sometimes they'll increase it as they go, just to get their heart rate a little bit. Is everyone feeling good? And then I'll just tell them, I want you to go ahead and get to your X pace, right? Your long distance day pace, your 5K pace, your 10K, whatever their goal is. And I'll have them kind of play around with the speed and take a few minutes to get there. And I'll just have them tell me, when do you feel dialed in, right? And that's, a, that's not a very scientific way to do it. But, you know, I need to try to replicate what I think this person is going to actually be doing whenever they're training the best I can on a treadmill. And so that's usually what we do. And then from there, we start filming some things, right? So we generally want to get a, a view from the back and a view from the side, both sides actually, because a lot of times you'll see some things differently from side to side you might not be expecting and um, kind of go from there, right? Yeah, so, you know, uh, I've been lucky enough to, to now spend some time and learn from some people who are really, I feel like, great in this area. Uh, one of them being Chris Johnson coming doing the course, getting to watch you do them, and then my last rotation um, at Onward, you know, Zach and Jordan do a lot of um, of these running analyses too, and, and a lot of their education comes from Chris, and also um, the ICE has an injured runner course too, and and so there, there's a ton of, uh, of kind of crossover in a lot of those things, but each one has their little nuances, and I love Chris's approach where he talks about all these different S's and you're kind of evaluating these different S's. So this is, you know, I like you talk, you got kind of your warm up type of thing. You're getting them going and, and then you ask them to, to reach their comfortable pace or what they're going to choose their pace before you start filming. Mm-hmm. And then you're, you're looking for a lot of these S's and evaluating them. You know, you know, obviously one of them is how their foot's striking the ground. And that's something that you know, a lot of people love to focus on. Is it a heel strike? Is it a, a, a forefoot strike? Where should we be striking? Um, for me, one big cue is how does it sound? So uh, a lot of times you'll see, you'll hear differences right to left a lot of times. And that could be showing that they might not be absorbing the load on one side as well as they are on the other side. And that might be something where those side to side views, it might cue me in that I need to look to see if there are any differences there too. Um, cadence is a big one that seems to be a, a, an area where a lot of people are focused on now. And step there's some, rate. yeah, there step, yeah, that's another S is, is step rate. So again, adding that in there, the uh, low Chris kind of tied that in, but you know, cadence, step rate, and there's a lot of, of, 
you know, data out there that's, that talks about things. You hear 180 thrown around a lot as, as like the number that you want to shoot for. But for me, I want to see where they are at baseline and do we need to improve it? Um, at speed, you know, what was that speed that they picked? You know, and then that they kind of like, what is their comfortable or, or their, their, their self-chosen speed there? Um, position of their leg. Um, so like talking about stride length here, um, it, it's like um, that, you know, where, where are they hitting the ground relative to their body? Uh, so are they really out in front of their body? Are they striking the ground underneath their body? Um, looking at their shoe, you know, I'm trying, you know, again, I mentioned, I talk about well, what kind of shoes do you wear? You know, is this somebody that's wearing, you know, some of these shoes now have a ton of cushion or is this somebody that's running in a minimalist shoe? And so, you know, just another variable to evaluate there too. So I love those S's that Chris throws out that keeps it really simple um, for, for when working with Zach. Um, Zach will, will video a lot from the back too. And we'll look at, okay, well, are we getting a lot of pelvic drop on one side or the other side? You know, three to seven degrees is, is considered normal when we strike the ground of having a little bit of a, that contralateral drop there. But are we getting a ton of drop? And, and, and I know Zach loves to use coach's eye and huddle. I think he uses huddle as is, is the app he likes to use on um, evaluating joint angles and things. So it's like when we get to, you know, initial contact or that, or we get to that foot flat position there, you know, where are we, you know, what's our knee angle on one side versus the other? Are we a lot stiffer on one side versus the other or a lot more straight is the angle a lot smaller. Um, so those are all different things that we're trying to evaluate just to tease out, you know, is there anything else we need to address? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So obviously filming it is, is huge, right? Because you need to sit there and, and break it down. You need to get a, a certain amount of film. You know, I'd say, I'd say it's good to get at least a minute, honestly, per angle, but you probably don't have to do that. And then calculating step rate is super important. Literally just, just count, right? Mm -hmm. You know, figure out how you want to do it. Do you want to just count in your head, you know, 15 seconds worth of steps, multiply it by four, 30 seconds, times two, whatever, you know, mm -hmm. figure it out, that kind of thing. But I think that's one of the most important things because usually that's going to be one of the first things that we adjust, one of the first things that we manipulate and see what happens. Um, I think that's fair to say, right? Yeah, that's, for sure. Yeah. So you know, real quickly, just so you can get something out of this podcast, there's been a couple really well done studies that show that if you increase someone's step rate by 5%, it has been shown to decrease the amount of force, the amount of ground reaction force that's going through their joints by 20%. Because ideally what's happening is that foot is probably going to be a little bit closer to being underneath them. So they're not going to overstride quite as much. And so you're going to distribute that force through some of the soft tissues, the muscles, things like that, because that force is always going to be a constant. It's there, right? No matter what. Um, it's also been shown that if you <coughs> increase someone's cadence by 10%, it improves their running economy, makes them more efficient. Now, realizing that if you increase it by that much, you know, they're going to feel like they're sprinting at first. There's going to be a bit of an endurance and a learning curve, but once they can sort of get conditioned and adapt to that, sometimes they can come back a lot better from that. And that just kind of goes back mm -hmm. to the classic studies if you ever read about a strength conditioning journal where usually you're going to attack someone's you know uh, stride frequency before their stride length first but a lot of times you can get both hand in hand yeah and for me there's an app called tap tempo and it's really easy it's basically i don't i don't look at the app i kind of there's just like a big button that comes up on your your iphone screen or whatever you have as your phone and every time you take a step i tap it and you just tap along with their cadence, their rhythm, and you can either tap on both feet when they're making contact with the ground, you can tap on one and then multiply it by two, but it's a way for me to kind of more, uh, you know, uh, try to objective, uh, objectively figure out their, their step rate there because it spits out um, in the number that it gives you as a per minute number, so tell me where it is. And, you know, those things that Brandon mentioned about, you know, 5% and 10%, those increases what we see 
um, in terms of reduction in injury or changes in ground reaction force. Um, that's awesome. And a big part of that too is, is how do you progress them for there? And that 5% is a good starting point. If somebody's coming in there, their cadence is closer to 160 and you think, oh, well, I read this paper about 180. Jumping right to 180 is really tough mm -hmm. for that person. So for me, I like that 5% number. I think that's a, achievable. It's a small enough change that we can, we can hopefully implement it. And then I'll use things like a metronome to try to do that. And it's like, okay, you just came in, you're at 162. Um, let's see if we can get 170. That's roughly a 5% change. I'll set a metronome at 170. And then we'll keep with that, that same speed that they chose. We'll actually adjust and see, okay, how do we go? You know, how do we do when we change to that? And then film again test and retest, same kind of thing. How does that change our strike pattern? How does it change our stride length and the position of our foot, uh, you know, where in relative to our body, you know, does it, uh, you know, correct things? How does it sound? You know, um, I think all those things are, are variables that when you pull that, that lever, as Chris would call it, those different levers, you pull that separate lever, oftentimes you get adjustments in those other levers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it usually sounds better. There's usually less vertical displacement, right? They're mm -hmm. not jumping and, and pushing off and bouncing quite so much. And the metronome is just such a really easy way for the patient or the client to be able to replicate and run it on their own. You know, they just either have it in the background with your music. Uh, actually, I'll take that back. It's actually, it's actually, it suggests that you don't have a song and a metronome going at the same time because you'll tend to sync up to with one the or the song. other, maybe yeah. the song when you want to do the metronome, that kind of thing too. But that's easy for them to replicate as they're trying to get it. They're trying to, you know, train themselves to adopt that, adapt that motor learning strategy and, and alter their strike pattern, not a strike pattern, they're running style. Yeah, so um, this is all, uh, you know, great, right? And it's something too that is going to be probably new to them and, and a little bit more, you know, it could be very, very different than, and, than the way they have been running for however long that they've been running uh, maybe recreationally for them. So uh, sometimes it's not, you know, quick and easy change with it. It's going to take practice. And so a lot of it's when you're talking about giving this as like a prescription to someone, it's a lot of it is, you know, treating it like practice. It's, it's giving them appropriate distances to, that, to where they can maintain it and focusing on it. So it's like when you're, when you're prescribing this, it's not like, oh, you were, your mileage was 10 miles a week. Let's go and just now run 10 miles a week at this, at this new cadence, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. finding ways to incorporate more of a practice setting so that way that it becomes more the norm for them. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So yeah, I mean, I think that's a pretty good basic overview of a treadmill analysis. I mean, obviously you can get way more nuanced and you can start taking a joint by joint approach and especially starting to see some differences side to side, you know, maybe someone's overstriding and landing out with a landing with a locked out knee and maybe they're putting too much through their hip and they should be putting it through their knee and their quad, stuff like that. You can definitely dive into and you should, but I guess for the podcast, I mean, I think we've gotten what hit, hit on some of the basics and that's yeah. cool. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and move on to the overground, the pose method. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's hit the pose, pose method. So pose method, uh, pose method. If you're not familiar with it, it is a, a, system for um, a running technique and it was developed by uh, Romanov and he has his place down in Miami it's actually a CrossFit gym and there's some things I like about it I like having the ability to do some type of assessment for one's overground technique but it is very dogmatic I mean it is it is a cult I mean when you go down there like everything Romanov says is is right and he's got his own groupies I call them pose bunnies I mean it's it's <laughs> like I mean it, and, and you, you can't like question anything or argue because you know he'll come after you in the pose bunnies will start to kind of chirp in but anyways um, the reason why it's so dog dogmatic is because they basically feel that every single runner should have a four foot strike pattern every single runner should run at 180 steps per minute or more or else it's going to be suboptimal and you know you're going to get hurt you're not going to be as efficient blah 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 but we know that there's plenty of runners out there plenty of good runners that 
heel strike and don't get hurt and break all kinds of world records all the time. So, you know, I think that's what we always say about being careful to subscribe to absolute someone that says always this or never that, because that's generally not going to work out well for you. But there are some good things that come about, uh, come through post method. And I mean, we do this, it's like a whole weekend course. So we're not going to, I don't want to dive into like all the different, you know, nuances within it, but essentially there's three parts to it. Uh, it's the, the pose, the fall, the pull. When you have someone, um, when you're assessing someone's running gait via this method overground, you basically have plenty of space. You know, you might want to think about like 20, 30 yards. We typically do it out in the parking lot or in this Casey clinic because it's so big. And we're going to get like right in the middle because we want to sort of catch them mid stride. And we'll have them just say run at whatever pace y'all have chosen depending on what their goals are. And you're going to try to get some film of them running right in front of you. So from the side. And what you're going to do is start to kind of break that down and you're going to start to do some frame counts, right? So for example, um, the very first thing is you're going to look at their initial contact and um, just, you know, I don't, I don't try to just, you know, vilify and say, oh, you hit with your, your heel, you're wrong, that kind of thing too, but at least going to make a note out of it. You know, where did your foot hit the ground? And you're going to try to look at how much time it takes for them to get into that, that classic figure four position, which is what they call the pose and the pose method, right? It's, it's a position that every single runner gets into at some point and you're just trying to time to see how long it takes from that foot contact. So they get into that and then essentially how long it takes for that foot to come off the ground again and restart that cycle. So um, things I like about it, what they encourage is that they have the runners basically lean, they call it falling, right? So pose, fall, pull, and that's where they're getting their center mass over their base support. And what they encourage is that the runners generally keep their trunk straight for the most part, right? They basically talk about how if someone bends at their waist, then that's actually driving that center of mass back and it's kind of inefficient, so on and so forth. I, I do agree with that somewhat. I don't think that a person has to be looking like a plank in every single frame, but I think that it's better than not that they are not just kind of hunching over and bending excessively at the waist. I think most running coaches are going to agree that. That's why you do plenty of postural exercises as correctives and that kind of thing too. Um, the thing to make a note of is that the angle that you, in which you fall, the angle in which you lean is, is um, correlates to the speed, right? So basically the further you fall, the faster you're going to go. So think more like a sprinter. And if someone's just a jogger, then they're going to have very, very little lean. And that's a really easy thing that you can coach whenever you do some drills. So anything you want to add to that before we move on to other parts? No. And so my, my foray into this has definitely been, um, with you and working with you, um, first as a student and then watching you work with, with people on these things. And a lot of those drills I think are, are really beneficial, all those ways to break it out. And that's one thing I do like about the pose system is that it does give you some things to help you in terms of the implementation. It's like, okay, if you see this, you know, this is a direction you might want to go just like anything else though. I, I like stressing that, that we all probably shouldn't be running a certain in one specific way because we're, we're not all built the same. We're not, I mean, there's so, there's so many different things. It's like, you know, for me, it's the weightlifting community. It's like, you know, the, the last thing you want to try to do is teach every single weightlifter the exact same specific technique because it's not, it's not going to work for everybody. Right. And so there's always variations. And so I think anytime you're working in absolutes in any scenario, um, I think you might be closing off some potential to help some individuals, but I do think there are some, definitely some concepts within it that you've already mentioned in terms of body position, that kind of thing that are uh, really important and can carry over to a lot of people. Yeah. And then like, yeah. And so just going down the list, talk, you know, I alluded to the figure four position um, that, that they spend some time talking about like 
where do you bring your foot in relation to your hip? So their big thing is you pull, you pull your foot directly on your hip. You don't do a butt kick. You don't do a high knee. You're not focusing on muscles, right? We're not focused on firing off hip flexor or firing off hamstrings. We're sinking foot under the hip. And I do like that because I think that's a, that's a really simple thing for a runner or a patient to conceptualize. And there's some nuances with that, right? The, the higher you pull your foot, the faster you're generally going to go, you know, again, think sprinter versus jogger and that kind of thing, but it's a really easy thing to, to coach and a really easy thing to, to drill. And I do find a lot of people get that. And then I think the last one is pulling, right? How quickly can you pull your foot off the ground and pull the foot underneath the hip? And their whole thing is, would you rather, you know, jump and, and have your whole body weight push off the ground for thousands of steps or just pull your foot, which is, you know, 2% of your body weight up for thousands of steps. And, you know, granted, there, there's a mix of, of both going on, but, you know, I think that if you think about pulling and having a generally a faster turnover, if it's a problem, right, if it's actually relevant to the person that you're seeing, that tends to go pretty well with increasing someone's cadence, right? Sometimes you say, all right, here's a metronome. I want you to try to match this beat. Sometimes they have difficulty doing that. And so you can actually kind of make those two things kind of work together, give them a little bit of a pulling drill with a metronome. And sometimes things come along a little bit smoother. And that's where you'll see all those things that come together where they're more quiet. You know, if it was a problem that they were hitting their heel and overstriding, that was actually an issue for that particular person, then usually you'll see that improves, right? It's less of an overstride foots underneath them a little bit more too. Um, and then Outside of that, there's just these things that we generally get everybody to do first that are really, really simple in the clinic. You know, if there was an issue we identified with the running, we'll have them take their shoes off, right? We'll have them run with their shoes on, have them take their shoes off. Usually it's different, right? Usually they're going to be landing a little bit softer because it's a hard concrete slab here in this clinic, right? Nobody's going to slam their foot down on that. And then it's like, okay, what's Chris Johnson say? Let's run barefoot in your shoes and see if that feels better, see if you perform better, right? Um, cueing them to keep it quiet. You know, I want you to run like a ninja. A lot of times, you know, they'll, they'll know what you mean whenever you do that. They can hear that and get that feedback. And, um, yeah, I think uh, you can also just keep it simple and say, just pick up your feet a little bit faster, too, without even having to do the metronome. And sometimes that gets people better. Again, I like to try to, to not overcoach people when possible, but it's good to have, you know, all these tools in the toolbox, as they say. Yeah, and then there's a, a couple a couple things I had from that that I wanted to, to touch on. You're number one about overcoaching. Uh, the big thing is when we're we don't want this to become super super mechanical. You know, um, you know, in terms of like where you're you're giving them so many things to think about that they're they're having a hard time, um, you know, actually implementing any of it. Right, and it just is it's funky and unnatural. Our goal is to make subtle changes and still allow it to maintain pretty fluid. It's more like how can we build from what they're currently doing little by little over time. So like, for, you know, I don't love giving like eight different cues there same thing i think that's a really big important one too but, one yeah. other thing too i meant to mention so pose method that's what the military uses that's what the army uses right so we're we're, uh, we're in columbia south carolina that's where fort jackson is right this is where all the recruits come from so you know they're they're kind of speaking to the masses so every recruit that comes through is going to get the pose method so if you do deal with a military population i would at least familiarize yourself with it i don't think it's necessary to go through like the training to get the certification i think there's better certifications you can get like if i had to choose one or the other i would definitely pick chris johnson's but I would at least be familiar with it because that's what they're going to be getting. And that's probably where they're going to be adopting whenever they're running. I don't know with Chelsea, you're in the, I mean, is that what you got? Did you have to yeah. do the pose method, like with your unit all together, like with the platoon and everything? Yeah. So the pose method was definitely something that we try to um, bring into like basic training land, um, you know, athletic trainers working with the trainees that were coming in for their 10 weeks of basic training. Um, Cause a lot of them just haven't moved ever really in their lives. And then also at the master fitness course, um, it's a more advanced level that um, soldiers, officers can go through to help better train um, their formations. It's something that's also taught again, pose methods. And everybody who goes through the master fitness course is kind of 
taught about it and they're reading through it themselves so they kind of know what to expect but it's definitely something to bring up somebody um, with who's never really moved or ran I mean you know in today's generation most kids don't ever leave their couch for their video games and so when they're coming into basic training um, they just don't know how to do anything so yeah like like Brandon said the pose method is definitely something that we try to incorporate with those soldiers so what do you what do you think about it having been through that what do you think about the whole idea of the the entire army learning this one particular system this one particular method I mean I think it's it's good for the new population um, coming in like I said before who haven't really done anything but for for older soldiers people who have been in you know 10 15 20 years it's really hard to break bad habits and again kind of what they said earlier if it's not broke don't fix it um so it's not necessarily something to start someone from scratch with who's been moving who's been running who's comfortable with their form but i do think there are a lot of good points from it that can make somebody better um you know running is something that the army's always going to love we're never gonna get rid of it no matter what anybody says um depending on where you are like i just came from fort bragg and we run like a thousand miles a week um, and I think that a pose method was something that was brought into more people's lives, whether they be new to the service or new to exercise or kind of a veteran at fitness. Um, it can definitely be something that can bring um, a lot more success to their form and possibly see a lot less stress injuries and kind of injuries that, you know, people are getting out of the army for because it's just really wreaked havoc on their body over time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, when you, when you kind of go back to biomechanics 101 too, I mean, we know running is going to be anywhere from three to six times your body weight going through some joint at some point. So I think it's good to have something in place just to try to disperse that and mitigate that going through your, you know, what, gosh, what do y'all see so much for Jackson from all neck stress mm -hmm. fractures? I mean, those, mm -hmm. they grow on trees around there. So mm -hmm. I think you need you to mitigate that. But sometimes again, it goes back to what we talked about earlier. It could just be volume. You could have the picture perfect running gait, but it's the amount that you did relative to what you're accustomed to and that kind of thing. Yeah. I think if we need to remember running is running is a skill, right? And don't, you know, assume that anybody that comes to you that tells you they're a runner, that, that they, have that skill down just like anything else you want to try to practice it you want to practice it without the fatigue first before introducing those skills under fatigue where you're trying to increase mileage and um, you know for me just when you do inter in, uh, introduce some of these pose drills or having people switching to more of like a four foot strike that can be tough on people's calves man I know mm -hmm. me personally uh, I tried to, to, to play around with some of this stuff especially when I was your student a couple years ago man and I remember being so sore in my calves I could barely walk from having shifted yeah. forward into a different strike pattern so that again comes down to like you know small doses of very focused practice with these type of things before uh, then and then building up that volume gradually even if you increase someone's cadence by five percent that's going to be more work on their calves right yeah. so that's a good thing to keep in mind when you're working with these people is that they're probably going to need to supplement some type of calf work in because um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't do a lot of calf work myself, right? Crossfitters don't do a ton of calf work. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. We always blame it on genetics, right? But yeah. we don't work our calves. Yeah. But, but yeah, so they, they are going to get some doms there too. And so it is a good thing to kind of let them know ahead of time that we need to beef the calves up, right? We need to be ready for this and sort of be preventative from developing some type of, you know, additional overuse injury, like an Achilles tendinopathy or something like that. Yeah. And I'm just going to wrap it up with one sentence that runners still need to be strong too. So don't forget in all of this that having a structured strength conditioning program program um, is extremely important. Getting the right thing strong, building up some resiliency, it's only going to help you mitigate some injury risk and most likely going to increase your performance too. So um, don't forget that runners, uh, you know, runners are, you know, they're athletes in, in, as well. They need to, it's not just running, they need to get strong as well. Yeah, just the fundamentals. Yeah. Squat and deadlift, 
push, pull, carry. I mean, get some freaking yes, weights in your you're hands. not going to get too bulky. All That's right, it. and we're going to leave it at that. So, again, uh, we appreciate you tuning into this episode. If you enjoyed it, share it on social media. We really appreciate it. Um, always, we appreciate if you give us a review, too. It's how we reach more people. So, thank you again for checking us out, and we'll catch you all again next Monday. And one last thing, if you like the episode, please head on over to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, and leave us a five-star review. That way we can reach more people. And if you have any questions, a topic that you want us to cover, or maybe a person that you think we should interview, hit us up on Instagram at BetterFasterPodcast. You can also keep up with updates on our physical therapy and strength and conditioning businesses by giving us follows at VertexPT and at VertexStrength. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Monday. This episode is brought to you by Vertex PT Specialist. One patient per doctor physical therapy per hour. Guaranteed. The best physical therapy ever. Check us out at vertexpt.com or on the gram at vertexpt.